If you have your Bibles today, you can open up to the book of Matthew, and uh, we're going to be looking a little bit at chapter 4, and uh, then we're going to go a little bit into chapter 7, and we are in a series right now called uh, The Sermon on the Mount, and The Sermon on the Mount is a, a one specific extended teaching from Jesus that covers Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And so we're just taking our time. We're walking through it uh, just from beginning to end. And however long it takes is however long it takes. We're going to study the whole message from Jesus. And uh, this is what uh, is called an expository series. There are sometimes topical teachings uh, and there's a time and a place for topical where it's just like a study on what does the Bible say about forgiveness or what would the teachings be on fasting or you name the topic and then you study and teach on that. Expository is when you take a chunk of text and you just walk through it and whatever uh, the next item up is, is what you talk about that day. You're not pre-selecting topics. You're just uh, going through a text and whatever comes up next is what we, we talk about. And so we've been in this expository series. We just finished chapter five and are moving into chapter six, and chapter five took us approximately 10 months. Um, it's been great. I don't know if we're gonna go another 20 months. I'm not sure how long these next two chapters are gonna take. My assumption is that the next two will go a little bit quicker than chapter five, but my assumption was chapter five would be like a few weeks, and it was 10 months, so uh, we will see how long this takes. But today, as we are between chapters five and chapter six, uh, we're just gonna pause for a second today. We'll jump into chapter six next week, and we're gonna take today to be like a, a halftime huddle. Now again, I'm not sure if this is halfway or not. I know it's one third of the chapters, um, but uh, halftime is, is a time to, to pause and reflect. Uh, if it's a third, what, what's a hockey break called? It's not halftime. A period? Okay, but what's the break? It's not halftime. Intermission. Am I right? Seventh inning stretch, something like that. This is a break. We're going with halftime huddle because it just sounds better. Uh, halftime huddle, where you pause to remind and refresh and maybe get some clarity on what we were trying to accomplish. And so uh, today we're just going to pause and we're going to have a reminder. What are the intentions of why we're studying the Sermon on the Mount? What is some clarity on what we're hoping to accomplish as a community, as a body, as we're studying Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Uh, if you would be willing, by show of hands, how many of you have started attending Anchor since we started the Sermon on the Mount series? In the last 10 months, since last Easter, would you just raise your hands loud and proud? That's amazing. Look around you guys. This is so cool. Uh, there's a lot of people. Yeah, we can clap for them. Also, if you are newer, you're not the only one. Uh, we, we, we've got a, a lot of people that God is bringing and adding to our numbers here at Anchor. Uh, but that's amazing that uh, there is a significant portion of our church that wasn't even here when we started. And we laid out, hey, this is what we're going to try to accomplish through this series. So this is going to be valuable to those who weren't here 10 months ago. I think it's going to be valuable for those that were here 10 months ago to just say, hey, what, what are we trying to do here? Because we've been getting uh, really focused and going deep on each verse, but scale back again. And like, what was the intention of getting into the Sermon on the Mount? So this is going to be our halftime huddle because there's a portion of our church that, like came into the movie partway through. Maybe we've uh, forgot some plot lines that we started out with. Uh, so we're going to do a refresher, a reminder here today and uh, jump into chapter six uh, next week. I haven't said this for a while, but uh, our goal is not just to teach through this text on a Sunday, but to develop uh, some good study habits across uh, our church. We uh, put together two really simple tools for you. One is a Sermon on the Mount physical notebook. Does anybody have yours with you right now? You can throw it up in the air. We have given out 
hundreds more than is being waved at us right now. Someone has like eight of them in your back seat. Come on, share the wealth. Uh, if you would like one of these Sermon on, the, uh, Sermon on the Mount notebooks, there's some on the table on your way out. I believe there's some on the counter out there. It's a really simple little notebook that's broken down the, the text of these three chapters into small chunks. And then there's just a couple pages of blank lines. And our heart would be that uh, you wouldn't just listen to someone else teach about Sermon on the Mount, but that you would take some time Maybe it's a few times a week, maybe it's every day, where you just grab one of those sections of scripture. Even if you're a slow reader, it might take you a full two minutes at most uh, to read that, probably one minute for most of you. And then uh, what's it look like to read it and say, God, what are you saying about yourself? What are you challenging me with? Maybe you write one sentence. It's like a question of, I don't understand this. Maybe it's one sentence of, man, I'm really challenged because of how this applies to a circumstance in my life. Maybe it's just one little prayer. Um, but we wanna encourage you to learn how to go to God's word. And a lot of times you can just grab the Bible and if you're not familiar or it's not something that you're consistently reading, it's like, well, what do I, what do, I do with this? It's huge, there's so much in here. What if you just, for the next season, went to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, read a little bit in the morning and uh, wrote one sentence. And what's it look like for us to start learning how God's word speaks to us, not just through a preacher, but God's word, it's alive and it's active and it's transforming us into the image of its author, whether we are in a setting like this or we're alone uh, in our bedroom, in our living room, uh, no matter what time of day it is. So we would love to encourage you uh, to use that resource. The other resource we have, if you scan that QR code uh, in front of you, there's just a digital version where you, it's, you're not able to take notes on it. But if you just wanna have the scriptures broken up in a simple way, these are both just two in-house tools that we'd love to have available to you as you are walking through the Sermon on the Mount on your own. Uh, we're going to look a little bit at the introduction of the sermon and then the conclusion of the sermon so that we can kind of see uh, Jesus' heart, some of the intentions uh, and what we're trying to gain through this series. If you have your Bibles with you, you can look back. We're not gonna put this on the screen, but we're gonna quickly summarize chapters one through four of Matthew to catch up to where we're at in chapter five. If you look at, at Matthew chapter one, it starts with a genealogical record of Jesus all the way back from Abraham. And it goes through the whole genealogy from Abraham all the way to Jesus, giving us some historical background to Jesus' birth. And then there's the birth of Jesus. There's some early childhood stories of Jesus. You can see as uh, he grows up, uh, he has this encounter with his cousin, John the Baptist, and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. Jesus comes up from his baptism. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. The Father speaks out from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus goes from this moment of God speaking his, his uh, authority over him, the Holy Spirit empowering him, and he goes directly into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil for 40 days. And then he comes back from the wilderness and his public ministry begins. He begins teaching publicly and performing miracles and healing people. And so as we get to the end of chapter four, this is where we pick up with Jesus. And uh, we're gonna read verses 23 uh, through the end of, of chapter four, which is just 23 through 25. It says this, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him began to spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or their disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, 
the 10 towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and even from east of the Jordan River. Uh, we're gonna pause right there. Here's a, a picture we're gonna put up on the screen to give you kind of some context of, of what we're talking about here. So Jesus, he's traveling all around the yellow region, Galilee, going from town to town. He hits uh, a town and he goes to the public square. He goes to the synagogue and he begins to teach. People are gathering around. He's doing miracles. Then he'll travel to the next town. And, uh, and word begins to spread. There's no TV. There's no internet. There's no social media. This is word of mouth going great distances. Uh, Decapolis down here is what's known as 10 towns. Deca meaning 10. Polis meaning towns, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and Judea, the east side of the Jordan River from Syria. So all of this, this region... People are catching wind that Jesus is healing people and they decide we need to go see this guy because we have some needs. We have some healings that, that we'd like to see. So it's, it says that people are crossing rivers with their paralyzed family members, with those who have epilepsy, demon possessed, all types of needs. And they are traveling the known world searching for Jesus. So this is not just a, a simple jaunt. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll take a drive down to, to the, the church. They are leaving everything behind, desperate for a healing from Jesus. Traveling great distances, whatever the cost may be, they're, they're desperate to encounter someone who could bring them hope and someone who could bring them healing. And they're bringing their loved ones from all the known region to Jesus. So I don't know how much time passes from the first miracle and the first teaching to where we were at here. But this has got to be some amount of time for word of mouth to spread to those great places and people from those places to walk and carry their, their loved ones and paralyzed and find Jesus in Galilee. This has got to be at least some significant amount of time where daily Jesus would get up. He would go out to the city square. He'd go to the synagogue. He would teach. And the crowds just begin to build and build and build with people with, with a need looking to him for hope, and he heals all types of sicknesses, all types of diseases, demon possession, uh, crippled, blind. He's healing them all, and the crowds begin to swell, as you would expect. Imagine this happens today where there is a, a place and a person who all of these healings are taking place. Of course, crowds would continue to grow and to swell day by day. And so this is what Jesus' ministry looks like up to this point. Teaching, healing, more people show up the next day. More people show up the following day. The crowds are beginning to grow. And this is what prefaces Matthew chapter five. Let's read the verse, verses one and two. It says, one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, which is the, this is the norm at this point, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. So before we ever even study one component of this magnificent sermon from Jesus, the setting is day by day, he goes out, he heals, more people gather, more healings happen, more people gather, the crowds are growing. But on this day, he changes course. That Jesus doesn't go about the normal routine that he has been going about. He gets up in the morning, hopefully got a good night's sleep. Uh, he, you know, he takes a shower, brushes his beautiful hair, uh, goes and makes some coffee, eats some breakfast, whatever his routine is. And then uh, he heads out to the synagogue. And as he heads out the door, he sees a great crowd gathered. People excited to see him. 
People who have gone great distances, gone to great lengths to get their loved ones to him, the sick, the crippled, the demon possessed, he sees a crowd waiting for him. And his norm has been to approach them, to teach and to heal all of them. But this time he sees a great crowd and he turns around and he climbs a mountain. Now, I know that Jesus um, was born and raised and lived in the Middle East, but can we just agree that Jesus is a Missoulian at heart? <laughs> like, he, got, he goes out the door, he's like, there's a lot of people, I need to get on top of a mountain. Like he's just, he's, I, I need to go for a hike. Too many people out here. Uh, we certainly live in God's country. Uh, but Jesus, he sees all these crowds and he does an about face and climbs up a mountain and he sits down to teach 107 incredibly challenging verses. What's interesting is that um, Jesus' response to the crowds on this day is not more miracles, but to climb up a mountain. He has healed people before, he'll heal people again. But in this setting, he sees people are just looking for Jesus to touch them, to, to bring uh, some remedy to their physical desires and their physical needs. And Jesus, it's like he pushes pause on the miracles and said, before we continue that, because he does, he says, but before we just make the miracles and the physical comforts the priority here, let's take some time to bring some clarity on what it really means to be my followers. That what has brought you here is some physical desires that you have and I love you, and I want to heal, heal you, and I want to bring some remedy to the, the things in your life that are challenging, but you need to know that a life following me is not about your physical comforts. In fact, if you choose to follow me, I'm gonna ask you to reorient the entire way that you live your life. What's uh, interesting here is that Jesus, um, he wasn't concerned with attendance records. He was looking for genuine followers. If the goal was how many people can we get to hear the teaching, he would just keep doing what he's been doing. It's working. The strategy of getting people to come to him was working, but his goal wasn't to have more people than yesterday, more people than last week, greater numbers to tell his friends about next year. This wasn't his goal. He sees great crowds. He's like, we have a bit of a problem. We got a bunch of people ready to consume, but they don't actually know what I'm calling them to. We need to push pause for a second and bring some clarity on what I'm actually seeking in lifelong followers of me. And they need to be clear what it is that I'm asking them to do. And when he begins his teaching, and as those of you that have been here the last 10 months, we see that it's not the most popular content. It's not a low bar, tickle your ears, just feel so encouraged teaching. It's not comfortable, it's challenging. That Jesus, by nature of going up on the mountain and then the content of what he shares is he's telling a people, I am so much more interested in your eternal state than your temporary physical state. And he, he makes this incredibly clear with the teachings that we have been walking through and will continue to walk through on the Sermon on the Mount. He wasn't seeking popularity. He wasn't just hoping that everyone liked him enough and was entertained enough to come back tomorrow, to come back next week. He really cared about the eternal status of those who said, I'm, I'm interested in following you. Now, this was a significant realization and understanding of this text with which we brought into deciding to teach through the Sermon on the Mount here at Anchor. Is I think that um, sometimes it can be difficult to not transition to making decisions that would be better for attendance reasons. 
that there is something inside of all of us and something with inside of the church, and I'll just say something inside of me still, that attendance feels validating. Full rooms feel better than empty rooms. More people feels better than less people. Like there, there is something about that. But I love that what Jesus did and what we took into this, this series over 10 months ago as we're praying what to do was this understanding of we cannot get caught up in operating in a way that hopefully it's entertaining enough that people come back next week. Because we start that, that, that becomes our system, that becomes our strategy. We're gonna have a problem here pretty quick. So how do we push pause as Jesus did and say, this is exciting that people are coming, that, 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 that the church is growing, but how do we make sure that we are actually staying healthy and growing lifelong followers of Jesus that don't just have a season of climbing the mountain, having that moment. This was exciting. There was a lot of people there, miracles happened, and then they don't actually follow Jesus the rest of their lives. How do we make sure as a church that we are creating lifelong disciples of Jesus, not just trying to fill rooms. There's a lot of decisions that could be made to just try to make it more comfortable, uh, more seeker friendly, make this easier. And so we decided let's jump into Sermon on the Mount because it's really challenging and Jesus says, let's push pause on this, this growth strategy for a minute to recognize what are we actually doing when we say we're gonna start following Jesus. Now, I also wanna say I'm incredibly encouraged that over these last 10 months, uh, the church is growing. And uh, it's pretty wild to look at the topics that we've talked about in the last several months about lust and adultery and about divorce and anger and a couple weeks on loving and praying for the people that have treated you the worst. And not only do people come back, apparently you're inviting people. Uh, it's pretty rare to preach on go love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the next week people are sitting on the floor. This is wild. I, I, I don't wanna say this, I, I wanna celebrate God, not us for a second here. Please hear me right. God is doing something special in this community right now. Something that we couldn't orchestrate or plan and the strategy is not how many services can we get. We're trying to say like, how long can we stay at one? Because we're not trying to just compare to where we were last year. We're trying to set a foundation of what does it mean for this to stay healthy and to be faithful for a long time? How do we finish well, not grow fast? That is the heart of the leadership of this church is we wanna finish well in 30 years or 40 years, whenever our time comes to an end, we wanna finish well. And so we're, we're in this for the long haul. So we're not trying to just bust out as many services and get as many people as we can, but something is happening. God is moving and there's something that is so encouraging that you are a people who want to be challenged. It seems like, because this hasn't been easy. This hasn't been the, the, the most encouraging message. It's been like, man, that is a really hard statement from Jesus. What do I do about it? How do I wrestle with it? And continually to come back and to grow. I'm really encouraged that I believe that this is a community right now that's just saying, Jesus, challenge us. I'm not showing up to church because that's just what I'm supposed to do, but like, God, you're doing something in me and you're doing something in us. And I'm really grateful for it. If it's important for you to know, we know that it's getting really full in here and some of you are claustrophobic and some of you need a couple chairs next to you and that you don't get it right now. Um, we are working on what would it look like? What would we need to get in place to go to two services? Uh, we have no date on the calendar. There's a lot of stuff we need to do first. Um, but our goal is not how do we just get more, more, and more. Our goal is how do we stay healthy? Our goal is how do we make sure that we know what we're actually signing up for as followers of Jesus. And so there's some plans you'll hear more about um, of what maybe the next steps for our church as it continues to grow is. Uh, but this is the step we really are trying to focus on right now. 
Not how many people can we get, but are we gonna be faithful? Are we gonna understand what Jesus is calling us to? Are we gonna understand that he is calling a people to be set apart, not live according to the desires of the flesh, not going the way that culture is going, not lowering the bar, but saying, God, your grace has transformed us to such a place where we are so moved that we're actually gonna follow you and live the ways that you are directing and the ways that you are instructing. So Jesus, he, he climbs this mountain, there's already a group of people that were down in, this, in town. He goes up on this mountain and Jesus sits down and he turns around. What's amazing is he sees these crowds of people who have already traveled great distances. Now they're climbing up a mountain to be with him. That there is some sacrifice being made. There is, I mean, they're taking their crippled loved ones and finding a way to get them up a mountain. There's a hunger, there's a desperation, there is a longing for more that these people possess. And I love that as Jesus turns around and he sees this hunger, people who had already left so much, had given time and energy to be with them. He responds to this crowd that is hungry for more. He says, all right, if you're ready for a new way of living, here we go. And he lays out a 107 verse manifesto of this is what it looks like to follow me. I love you, I love feeding you, I love healing you, but the reality is, is that everyone in the crowd was one day going to pass from this earthly life. And he says, my goal is not to keep you physically comfortable for eternity on this earth, in this body. My goal is to show you my love, to speak truth into your life so that your soul is secure for eternity because this life will come to an end. And how do we follow Jesus knowing that yes, there is a, we can come to him with our needs and, and he is a healer and he is a provider, but knowing that his intentions and our intentions are not for the most physically comfortable lives and longest lives possibly on this earth, but that one day we can cross from here into eternity and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is his desire, this is our desire. And so he lays this out to them. So this is the intro of the series that gives us some really good intentions of what are we trying to accomplish here? I wanna now fast forward to the end of the sermon because uh, taking 10 months, which might turn into a year and a half or more between the start and the end, uh, I, wanna, I wanna look at the end because it gives us some good clarity uh, again on what the intentions and uh, expectations are for the series. We jump to the very end. These are the last words of Jesus in this, uh, in this sermon, he says in verse 24 of chapter seven, anyone who listens to my teaching, so he's just taught extensively, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, or some of your translations say, and puts into practice is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, doesn't put it into practice, is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. End of sermon. A mighty crash, mic drop. Like this is a, a significant climactic conclusion. It's like anyone who's heard these words of mine, and then he gives this example. He gives us this illustration of two houses with one storm. And he says, there's two types of responses. There's two types of people that you can walk away from the Sermon on the Mount in one of two ways. You can either stand strong because of this foundation or some of you, you're, gonna, you're walking towards a great crash. Nice bow on the end of that one, Jesus. Like, it's just like, 
uh, can you imagine the gut drop moment? You know, he just waves at his guys, picks up his backpack and takes off. Like this is, this is how he ends it. Two houses, one stands, one great crash. He uses wise and foolish. The wise stand, the foolish crash. And the difference between standing and crashing, wise and foolish, is not just hearing the teachings of Jesus, knowing the teachings of Jesus, it's putting into practice the teachings of Jesus. And if this is the way he concludes this message, we have to agree that he takes pretty seriously, not just knowing the information, but putting into application the teachings of this sermon. Because there's some significant consequences to not just to, to hearing it and not putting it into practice. It makes the difference between wise and foolish, standing strong and falling apart. This uh, term following means commitment to grow in, which is why it's often translated put into practice. That it's not uh, anyone who is able to perfectly accomplish everything that I said is gonna stand strong. It's everyone who has made this decision that I am going to put into practice. I'm gonna be committed to growing in these teachings. Practice by definition is a repeated performance or exercise for the purpose of acquiring skill or proficiency of habit. Practice by definition is recognizing the distance between where I'm at and the calling I'd like to be at in any form or function, whether it's in your job, if it's in sports, it's, it, it, you name it, the practice is saying there is a distance between where I'd like to be or where I'm called to be or where God would like me to be and where I'm at today. And rather than saying, well, that gap is just gonna have to stay that way. I'm not gonna do anything about it. I'm just gonna coast it in from here. Practice is I'm gonna consistently, not occasionally, consistently stretch and grow and mature and do something about the gap between where I am and where I could be or where I am and what God has called me to be. It's putting it into practice. So when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're like every week, hopefully we're walking away saying, well, there is a gap between where I am and what Jesus said I should be. There's a gap. And so the wise are those who see the gap and say, there's some, there's some application that I could start working on. And I'm gonna consistently, faithfully put into practice, stretch and exercise, even when I don't feel like it, even when it's not the way of my flesh, even when people around me aren't doing it, I am going to grow in this area. The foolish see the gap be like, well, I mean, I, I know about it. I'm aware of it. I heard the teaching. I'm going to the church. I'm listening to the podcast. I'm and nothing is actually taken into application. He says, I want you to put into practice. It's not a calling of perfection. It's putting into practice that which leads us towards perfection. Simply stating this, there is a difference that we must recognize between hearing, reading, agreeing, knowing the teachings of Jesus, and following them, practicing them, repeatedly exercising and growing in the areas of deficiency. So as we look at this series, we don't want to just be a community that reads and studies and preaches and listens to the teachings of Jesus, but actually puts into practice what he's calling us to do. My guess is uh, for a lot of you in the last two weeks, you had an opportunity to pray for somebody who has hurt you, who has spoken bad about you, who's challenged you, and we have the opportunity of being taught that. And then when the moment comes, it's like, God, I didn't actually want to have to apply this right now. Anybody faced that the last two weeks? But this is what it means to follow you. 
It wasn't going there, singing the songs, hearing the message, taking some notes and going away, knowing more about what Jesus wants from me. It's when I see that person or I hear what was done or that, that, that bitterness starts rising up inside me. Am I actually, when nobody's watching, when I'm not around a church of a community of faith, but I'm in my own car and that thought hits my mind, am I going to put into practice that which what Jesus is calling me to do? I tell you, this is our heart as a church that we would, whenever those moments are throughout the week, we would understand what Jesus is calling us to be, how he's calling us to live. And this is the distinction between wise and foolish. Now here's something that we need to think about. Is Jesus says this to the crowd that has all left their homes and they've now left the town that they were in and they've climbed up a mountain to be with him. Meaning everyone that he is speaking to has made some effort to be in his presence, desiring to hear what he had to say. And yet he knows, as he looks out, some of this crowd is gonna go put into practice and some are not. He says, on this mountain, some of them are fools. They don't know it. They've been doing all the right things at this point. But to know that on this mountain, Jesus has this understanding that some are gonna put this into practice. Some are gonna go down that mountain, have a nice story to tell. Excited that they were there, they heard this teaching, but it's not gonna change the way that they live. And he says, it's, it's foolishness. But here's the challenge with foolishness is it's hard to convince a fool of their folly because it's foolishness. It's like trying to convince the deceived that they're deceived. That's what deception is. You don't see it, you don't know it. And so there's people on the mountain that are amening the message, not recognizing that it's them, that I'm the fool who keeps hearing Jesus speak and it's not doing anything in the way that I'm conducting my life. But I feel good about myself because I was under the teachings of Jesus. And my prayer is not so much about out there, but in here and in here. God, if there is any foolishness of I know what you're saying, I'm studying and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm taking notes, but it's not changing me on Monday. God, would you just strip away the foolishness in my heart? Strip away the foolishness in Anchor Church where we are gathered together, we're excited about learning and growing, but we're not conducting ourselves any different different than 10 months ago. I don't want to be the fool on the hill. I want to be the wise that says, man, this is hard to hear. But we're going to put into practice that which Jesus is calling us to be. This is the culture, the demeanor we desire as a church. We say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I heard it. I knew it. But I wasn't doing anything about it. I want to put into practice the teachings of Jesus. Just like on that mountain, the reality is, is that there are those of us in the church community blind to the foolishness. And a casual observer on this day would not be able to tell the difference between the two. The houses that were gonna crash and the houses were gonna stand strong, it would be hard to know because they're all there sitting under the teachings of Jesus. How would you know? Because it's not on the mountain where it's revealed if you're gonna stand strong or, it's, or you're gonna crash. It's when you get down the mountain and the storm hits. This is where we see the difference. And in this room today, it will be difficult to determine who's the wise, who's the foolish, who's gonna stand strong, who's gonna crash. But we must understand that it is not on the mountain that we can tell. I wanna tell you that um, climbing the mountain is great. I don't think Jesus was mad at anybody climbing the mountain. Reading the word of God, being in church, it's great. It's helpful, it's wonderful. 
but left at that, it has little value. It's as if Jesus ends his message by saying like, this has been good, but this was not the goal. It's when you get back down the mountain and you're facing real life and challenges and decisions and temptations and tragedies. Who are you in those moments? Jesus finishes by saying there's two ways to leave this message in church. There's two ways to leave this series whenever it's done. It's wise or it's foolish. It's having heard the teachings of Jesus or it's putting them into practice, consistently, repeatedly stretching and exercising and acquiring the skills that God has called us to live out. As the series eventually wraps up and as we're taking a halftime huddle to get back on the page of what, what we're doing this for, I just wanna ask you, are you gonna go back down the mountain, whether that's each message or at the end of this series, are you gonna go down the mountain with a good feeling, with more educated understanding of scripture, with a story to tell, or are we going down the mountain with a new way of living? Jesus is saying, I wanna reorient the way that you view life. It's what we're asking and we're praying for in this series. Now I want to be clear in these few minutes before we wrap up. Um, I think the danger of this series could be the potential of hearing these high standards that Jesus lays out and thinking I have to attain that in order to make God pleased with me. Uh, I just want to make this really clear that this is not a do this to make God happy do these things, be good enough at this so that you can experience forgiveness. We believe, and let me state this as clearly as I can, we believe that we are saved by God's grace through faith and not any work of ourselves lest any man should boast. So scripture lays out for us. The process of, of, of God coming into our lives, it is always grace first. We never earn it, we never achieve it, we never become good enough to deserve it. God's grace is given to us before we could ever ask for it, need it, desire it, like it's just available to us through the finished work of Jesus. But when God's grace touches our lives and the gospel becomes a reality, faith is always the result. Grace produces faith. We begin to believe we've experienced him and we know him and, and we get acquainted with him and it begins to change the way that we believe. Grace comes first and then grace produces faith and then faith without works is dead. It does produce a changed life. We do behave differently, that it, we are becoming sanctified and there's influence and impact in the world around us, but it is always grace first. But Jesus is saying, now that you have chosen to come to me as your source of hope, if you're, if you're accepting me as your Lord and as your Savior, if you are following me, my grace has touched you, faith is stirring, you're believing in me, and now as you follow me, it is going to impact the way that you live. But I want to make this clear that it is His grace first, and then of course, believing in Him changes the way that we live, because a saving faith becomes an active faith, a saving grace is a transforming grace, and we are going to continue to grow in who God has called us to be. I'm going to ask the band to join me. As the band comes up, we're going to look at the very last two verses of chapter 7. This is post-mic uh, drop. So Jesus ends his sermon, talks about we'll fall with a great crash. And then Matthew, the author uh, of this gospel, this is what he writes at the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. So these aren't red letters. If you've got a red letter Bible, uh, Matthew says this in verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, after he lays out his manifesto, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite like their teachers of religious law. 
What I love about this is what Matthew highlights. There's all of this text. And more than saying, and this is the way that it impacted the way that they lived. This is how they applied it. This is what it, he says this. He says, um, the captivating takeaway that day on the mountain, it wasn't just the content. It was the source. It was Jesus. They walked away so impressed with the authority and the anointing and the power that Jesus possessed on that mountain. And it wasn't because of miracles. It was they saw who he was. They saw his heart. They saw his vision. They saw what he was calling his people to be, that he wasn't setting a low bar. He was saying, no, this is, this is what we can do. This is who we can be. This is what, how your life could be different. And my prayer in this series has been that each week we walk away with an awe of Jesus and a desperation for the power of the Holy Spirit. An awe of Jesus in this way that each week we are coming face to face with our deficiencies. Every week we're coming face to face with the gap, the distance between the way that I'm living and the standard that Christ has set. And an awe and a wonder of Jesus should come into play when we recognize I could never be this. Yet Jesus, the only one who ever could, lived the life I could not live and placed his righteousness on me that every week I see I'm, I'm not this. And Jesus says, I am. And I place that righteousness on you. And the next week we come to another reality of I, I'm not this. And Jesus says, I know. That's why I did it. I did it for you. And every time we see that Jesus has made us righteous before the Father, not based on what I've done or deserve, but based on His love and His sacrifice and His death and resurrection that I get to be called righteous, every week we should be blown away knowing that I can't do this, but Jesus did and He gave me that righteousness. And it should lead us to a desperation for the power of the Holy Spirit to say like, okay, I am justified. I've been declared righteous, but now there is a season of life where I can grow into the righteousness that God is calling me to be. And there's a difference that can be made in this world, that there are lives that can be impacted. There's a next generation that can be invested in, that God could use my life to do something as I follow Him. And I see my deficiencies, so I need not just the gratitude that I'm declared righteous, but I need a power outside of myself. I need the Holy Spirit of God deep within me to empower me to be what I cannot be on my own. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what do we do with that power? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, that you see in and of your own flesh, your inability to, to, to honor Him, your inability to make a difference. But when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you become a witness to the people close to you and then eventually the people far from you. The Holy Spirit, I need you. I need your power in my life. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me in this room? I'm praying that our motivation would be a captivation with the source. We're just captivated by Jesus, His character, His love, His calling, His purposes on our life. And where it's not just about gaining self-disciplines and being stable in future storms, but we're captivated by Jesus the authority, the love, the power that he has. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, most specifically, if you consider Anchor Church your home, your community that you're growing in faith with, our goal is to finish well. Lifelong followers of Jesus. We don't know where that finish line is. For some of us, it's closer than others, but we are going to be a people 
that didn't just get excited about this church thing for a season, but we said, Jesus, whether I'm healed or not, provided for, I'm not here for my comforts, I'm here because I actually have experienced your gospel. And I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my days. If you're a believer and Anchor Church is your home, I wanna challenge you in this halftime huddle. Do we walk away wise or foolish? Do we hear it or do we put it into practice? I want you to consider this question. What does going down the mountain look like for you? What's it mean to be in these moments and then go back to whatever temptations face you today, whatever challenges tomorrow has for you, whatever those family dynamic relationships are. I mean, we just hit so many topics already. What does it look like for you to go back down the mountain? Because Jesus is like, hey, this is awesome. I'm so grateful that you'd be willing to put the time and the energy into hearing from me. But this isn't the goal. It's the way that you're conducting yourself at the bottom of the mountain. To the unbeliever that may be here today, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. To you, I wanna say, Jesus certainly was the greatest of teachers, but he must first be your Lord for his teachings to have true meaning. Because you'll learn and listen from a teacher, but you'll give your life for your Lord. You'll follow him for the rest of your day. So step one is not just, okay, can I learn all of these teachings? Step one is just like all these people, they'd heard that there's hope in this guy named Jesus. I don't even know what all that means to follow him, but there's something inside of me where I just, I gotta know more. I gotta get closer to him. I wanna tell you the beauty of Jesus. He says, come, my grace comes first. And certainly we'll talk about what this means for the rest of your days, but his grace comes first. And maybe today there's just a spark inside of you of saying, I, I, I just wanna know more. I wanna be in his presence. I wanna hear who this Jesus is. We just wanna say, welcome to a journey of learning what it means to follow him to be captivated by a love so great that when we were at our worst, He gave us His best, to having a relationship with a Jesus who lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we should have died so we can have eternity in heaven. If that's you today or recently, again, on that QR code, there's some options on there, but one is I've decided to follow Jesus. If you've recently decided to follow Jesus, or maybe today is the day where you, you've just decided, I wanna I want know more. Uh, we don't wanna just leave you by yourself, isolated to figure out. Well, we'd love to come alongside of you. Um, there's just a way that if texting you or emailing you or whatever is the best way to contact you, we just don't wanna leave you isolated to figure out what does this mean to follow Jesus? If you take the time to fill out that form uh, at any time and you want someone to walk with you in these early stages of following Jesus, we'd love to be that for you. Uh, we're gonna close with one last song of worship. And uh, we love having time to do this because um, it's a chance for the microphone to be put down, for you to stop like listening and learning and taking notes. Just what does this mean for you to respond to what God's speaking to you through His Word today? So Father, we just love you. We worship you. Lord, we want to be those that are wise. And would you reveal to us any foolishness of hearing but not putting into practice? Lord, would we understand greater what it means to follow you? to live this one life in a way that is growing in honor towards you, becoming who you've called us to be and making the difference you've put on our lives. We love you and we worship you. In your name we pray, amen.